advantage of the day. Right. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. Yeah. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Hi, everybody, and welcome, Chiefs Kingdom, to this edition of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Holtz with you, Voice of the Chiefs, along with Chiefs reporter Matt McMullen, and joined also by the man that we know as the barbershop, the shop, the Spider-Man, Sean Barber. Over a decade in the National Football League as a player, terrific man now in the community, and leading the way for the Chiefs ambassadors. I even mentioned that at the 15 in Mahomes Gala. Yeah, that's great. I was giving you a yes, shout sir, out there. Yes, got a plug. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I'd have seen you. I didn't know you were out there. I was like, hey, what's up? I was in the crowd. I you was were? in the crowd myself, John Lohmeyer, and some other guys. You should have moved it out back there, did you? <laughs> but anyway, you're, you are leading the way with the ambassadors, and so appreciate that. As always, every episode of Defending the Kingdom brought to you by 360 Vodka, the hometown vodka of the Chiefs Kingdom and the official vodka of the Chiefs Kingdom, 360 Vodka, perfect uh, for the holidays. All right, this episode is going to be called, for those of you that are listening and watching, and then I'll spell it out for those of you just listening, is It's Fill in the Blank, capital D, lowercase blank, lowercase blank, lowercase blank, lowercase blank, lowercase blank, week. You fill in the blank and let us know. Capital D, and then there's what? Five lowercase. You get to fill in the blank. You can direct message any of us. Uh, I'm sure you follow all three of us on Twitter. Just let us know how you're going to fill in that blank and use your imagination. It's D blank, 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 blank week. Here we go. The Broncos come to town. Now, before we jump into D blank, 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 blank week, <laughs> Let's check in with our Defending the Kingdom worldwide. Spin around the world. Who's listening and watching? Yeah, a lot this week, and it's been so much fun to see how this has grown, where we're getting more and more <laughs> every week, and I'm going to keep reading them. If this turns into like a 20-minute segment, we're going to keep going with it, but uh, lots of names this week. So we'll start with our four international ones. We have Timo in Germany. He uh, direct messaged me on Twitter. Yeah, Timo. Uh, what's up, Timo? Uh, Carlos in the Dominican Republic, uh, then a fan in Mexico and then Terry in Australia, and then lots all over the country. So bear with me here. We have a fan in Cody, Wyoming. Yeah. Rob in Roulette, Texas, suburb of uh, DFW. DFW, yep, Metroplex. Uh, Robert in Yorktown, Virginia. Tadrick in Tampa says he still flies his Chiefs flag proudly, even though the Super Bowl lost. He still flags his, flies his flag proudly, which we appreciate. Uh, a fan in Providence, Rhode Island. Uh, a fan in Milwaukee, Jimmy in Waco, a fan in Hawaii, Michael in Manchester, New York, Ryan in Newark, and then Bruce in Northwest Kansas, just south of Smith Center. Wow. Yeah. Did he give the specific town? No, just Northwest Kansas. Oh, come on, man. You yeah. got to give, I mean, <laughs> send in the specific town. What's his name? Bruce. Bruce. Come on, dog. You got to give Matt the specific town so we can really get interested in it. And I don't know if we, is Ted Lasso on there yet? From <laughs> Not yet. Still waiting <laughs> okay. on Ted. All right, Ted. Yeah. Actually, Jason Sudeikis is a huge Chiefs fan, as you know. Former basketball player, Juco Ball, played at what, Shawnee Mission West, maybe, or South. Uh, anyway, uh, so it is capital D, lowercase, blank, 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 week. Here we go. Broncos come to town. Shop, we'll start with you because the AFC West, all eyes are on this division, the only division in the National Football League where every team has a winning record and one game separates first to last, and we're headed to the next six weeks. AFC the AFC West has been exciting, right? Being able to start from the bottom and now we're at the top, I think it's a song that sounds something like that. Uh, but what we've done is we've been so consistent, right? We've been so consistent, especially the people that's actually in the building. The confidence level here with our Kansas City Chiefs 
even in the first couple of weeks when it's some things statistically didn't always show our best efforts and show our best um, abilities in the building where it counts. The confidence level in that locker room within each other, um, on the defense, offense, and special teams, all three phases knew how effective this team can be when they start playing complementary football. And for the last four weeks, we've seen it. We've seen exactly what it means to be complementary of one another, playing Chiefs-style football. And I think we've now got the attention of everybody in the AFC. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with that. And I think something that we've learned over the last several weeks is no matter how good your team is or how much talent that you have, it's not always going to be 14-2, and two, right? Especially yeah. when you're the hunted. I mean, you're going to get everyone's best shot. And that's kind of a tired line now, but it's true. I mean, look at the Buffalo Bills. They got their best shot uh, in that game. And we're still getting everyone's best shot moving forward. But it's how do you adapt? How do you react? How do you, make, how do you grow from those things? Yeah. You know, And there's going to be tough losses sometimes, and those aren't fun. Uh, but to think that this team started 3-4 and four and has now fought all the way back to get to 7-4 and four now in first place in the AFC West with all these divisional games coming up, it's just really exciting. And you think about how special this season has the potential to be. Because I said on previous episodes, it's one thing to go 14-2, and two, win the division, run the table all year long. That's a lot of fun. We all know that. But to see this team battle and struggle early on and to pull themselves up mm. and to have this opportunity now, it's almost even more special seeing what this team has done. Yeah, there's two dynamics that come to mind for me in thinking about the AFC West is, one, how the Chiefs have adjusted. These 11 weeks have been about adjusting and changing. The offense had to switch up how it's doing based on what defenses do to them and then being very good at it. Uh, seeing the running back position kind of emerge with a now a two-headed monster with Clyde and Darrell Williams, and Darrell Williams having 100 yards receiving uh, against the Raiders. But it's also fascinating to me, and this is going to sound arrogant or myopic, so just bear with me, how all three other division teams have tried to structure their roster so they could be in this position to challenge the Chiefs. This team this week, the Broncos have an outstanding secondary, arguably the, maybe the best in the league. When you look at what they did, they drafted Patrick Sertan. Mac Jones was there. They took Patrick Sertan the second because of that. To me, they go spend money on Kyle Fuller. Justin Simmons is very good. But they had to put together – Darby's good. They had to put together a secondary to beat the Chiefs. The Chargers did it with the linebackers. They had to get faster linebackers. It's left them vulnerable to teams that just run it right up their gizmo. All right? <laughs> so you're just right down the line here with the other division teams. And the Raiders trying to get faster or – Working on the edge, getting Yannick Ngakwe to team up with Max Crosby. Each one of these teams has been, uh, and, I, and I think of the, um, help me out, general manager of the Raiders, blanking out, um, Mayock, uh, Mike Mayock, who's, you know, you saw him on the draft coverage of NFL Network, said, hey, this division is the Chiefs. We're all chasing the Chiefs. And to me, sitting here after 11 weeks, Shop and Matt, we're seeing that very thing. Well, we're definitely seeing um, draft capital being um, used each year yeah. in the secondary. If it's not David Arnett from Ohio State by the Raiders, um, if it's not um, uh, James for um, the Chargers, um, very high draft capital. And then you said Pat Sertain. Obviously, Pat will be back in town so everybody knows. Yeah. Pat is returning to Chiefs kingdom. Um, he, I don't think he will be supporting the Kansas City Chiefs, though. He will be here supporting his son. Um, I had a chance to talk to him. You cash those checks, Pat. I know you <laughs> cash those checks, dog. So just remember that. You cash some checks here. But he's, right. he, he's excited to see a great matchup and having his son be on the corner. And, and, man, I've been watching tape of his son. His son is doing an excellent job. He's one of the top corners other than um, who we he just faced Diggs, Tavon Diggs. Uh, other than him, he might be one of the top young corners um, that is upping rise and trending up 
um, in the league. I've heard comparisons to Tlaib and to Champ Bailey. That's that's some pretty strong comparisons, but I wouldn't argue against it right now. Yeah, he's a stud, and I was actually there last week. So we talked about this on Kingdom Conversations for bye week. Uh, when you have a break from football, what do you do? You go watch some more football. I went out to Denver and watched uh, the Broncos play the Chargers. My but you not only watch football, you watch the next week's opponent. Exactly, right? Which I put on Twitter. You saw the spy versus spy cartoon, <laughs> yeah. and you were a perfect spy. I was. So my in-laws live in the Denver area, so we went out there for Thanksgiving and for bye week, and they asked if I wanted to go to the game. I'm like, yeah, let's go to the game. I'll see how the Broncos are looking. And, you know, they're playing the Chargers, so we're going to come out of this with something good happening at least because one of our division rivals will lose uh but yeah i was wearing a mask sunglasses and a hat total incognito mode <laughs> you know and just a very nondescript crew neck just watching the broncos they had no idea i was there and we were texting about it we're getting our thoughts but uh mm. but yeah i kept texting him these gifts i had the mission impossible you <laughs> know he's, he's, so i sent him all these spy <laughs> gifts and he was very well done yeah because you know what they do if they capture spies yeah got so, out of there alive is the good. Important thing. well done my friend yeah. well done the chief's kingdom Give Matt a, uh, you know, give him a gold star here uh, for doing a great job of, of spy work here, getting ready for the Broncos. All right, jumping into this Bronco team, other than the secondary, this defense, if, why they're dangerous. And, and Matt and I talked about this on Kingdom Conversations. If those of you have an, a chance to watch High V Chiefs Insider this week on broadcast, uh, you'll see us talk about that. But let's, it's worth a discussion here of why this team is dangerous. And to me, shop they're hard to score upon I mean they're third in the league in offensive points allowed now that you're going what are what are points other than offensive points yeah there are there are returns or defensive scores let's take those out they are third in the league behind only Buffalo and New England in points allowed that gets your attention man they got a fast secondary they got a young fast secondary full of playmakers you missed you mentioned Justin Simmons at the safety position but then you also mentioned Fuller and then when you say the young champ Bailey, that is the guy who I looked at and compared uh, Pat Sertain Jr. to on film. He, his body style, his mannerisms, mm. the way he plays a rolled-up zone and feathers out under that interception he had in the end zone last week, all of that reminded me the pick six. I saw champ Bailey, a young <laughs> champ Bailey out there on the field. It's the remake. It, it, was, it was ridiculous. Um, so, and then their linebacker position, they got younger. No more is it the um, um, Trevathan, no more is it the Brandon Marshall Right, those are those old thumper, right? Long in the teeth. They knew how to line and sign. They know the defense. No, now they got young, Browning and Young, and those guys sideline to sideline, flying around, hitting anything that moves. They're young and excited. They don't do many things on defense. They only do a few things, but they run to the ball and hit, punch the ball out, create turnovers. Those are the things that they're um, hanging their hats on when it comes to the defense side of the ball. Yeah, Baron Browning had a sack last week that was negated. Ended up not counting because of a penalty elsewhere, but he's impressive. And their secondary just overall is very impressive. So they're an interesting study because when I was there watching the game, it didn't seem like their front seven was getting a ton of pressure initially, Mm -hmm. but they did. They had 19 pressures in that game, and Herbert was running for his life. But just by watching it, I got the sense that it was mostly because of the coverage. And if you look at pro football focus numbers, uh, Herbert on 62% of his dropbacks was holding the ball longer than 2.5 seconds and all of a sudden if your first read isn't there your second read isn't there the pressure is going to get to you in the NFL and that's kind of how it seemed throughout that game Herbert's first read was rarely there and he was in a funk the entire game because of that it was just a really impressive showing by the Broncos secondary kind of picking up their pass rush and helping their pass rush be effective because they were so effective on the back end 
You mentioned the 19 pressures against the Chargers. Draymond Jones had seven by himself. So we could talk about what the Chiefs did against the Cowboys and how Chris Jones just wrecked it. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've rarely seen a performance from an individual defensive lineman, particularly an interior lineman, like that. Okay, he beat the shot. He beat the Every right tackle, <laughs> the right guard, the left guard. The left, he only didn't beat the center because he didn't line up as That's a zero right. tech. That's right. But he beat them all. And I've never seen – he just wrecked them. But – there was some of that that I saw the Broncos do last week against the Chargers. And so protection becomes an issue. The other thing I want to ask you guys about, too, the other stat that pops off the page with me in what makes the Broncos dangerous against the Chiefs, stingy to score against, but they're top 10 in yards after catch disallowed. Mm. Okay? That's very different than the other two division opponents here. The Cowboys were last in the league in yards after catch allowed. This team, you may get a 12-yard gain but you're not going to get a 32-yarder because they're disallowing yards after catch. They swarm and tackle as a whole unit. They don't play much press man where it's just one-on-one. Once you make that guy miss, it's 20 yards to the next guy gets to you. They play off man. They play catch zone. They play a lot of things that it, it, it gives the quarterback a little bit of a gray area for a few counts until you fill out figure out how this defensive secondary is actually morphing into the actual coverage. And then once you throw the ball, there are a lot of times on the backside, eyes are on the quarterback, and they are zooming. They are, they are, they are chasing that ball on the long arm of the quarterback. And so when the, when the receiver catches the ball, there's four or five hats within five yards all trying to hit them. And that makes them even more aggressive for trying to punch the ball out because there's so many guys there. You don't have to worry about missing the tackle. There's another three, four guys there to make up for your miss. And so you don't see a lot of yards after catch. Um, you do see a lot of completions. You can see a lot of completions. They play it soft, but they count on, what, that pass rush eventually getting there, you making a mistake, throwing it behind your running back on an arrow route, and they have a corner sitting there for a pick six. Those are the type of plays that they're just waiting on. It's kind of like a bait-and-switch type defense. Mm-hmm. And they, just let, they allow you to make underneath coverage, allow you to throw it underneath. Swarm and tackle, swarm and tackle. Try to be the aggressive, uh, the aggressor, and let their speed and technique take over and win the ball game. Yeah, some genius of the Vic Fangio style of defense, exactly. and he's so highly regarded. Uh, but it's also why they're near the bottom. You go, wait a minute, they're giving up a lot of first downs. Their third down defense isn't awesome. But their red zone defense and scoring defense is, and that's what matters. Yeah, fewest red zone drives allowed in the NFL. So they're letting teams get chunks, but all of a sudden they're not letting them into the red zone, not letting them score. So for the Chiefs in this game, we've seen over the course of the season, they've found ways to move the ball down the field, taking what the defense is giving them. That's paramount this week because the Broncos will give you gains. But And if you can break a tackle, that's even more. But uh, you have to make sure you're moving your way down the field, just like we've been saying all year long. And when you get to the red zone, you got to finish against these guys. Yeah, and just a side note here, because the 22 giveaways, we always, we've talked about this, the Chiefs, only the Jets have more than the Chiefs' 22 giveaways. We're just going to pull off the side of the road here a second, because I did a minute with Mitch, I just did it, is can you have a lot of giveaways and win a Super Bowl? There are two that come to mind. One, the 2015 Denver Broncos, ironically enough, uh, Peyton Manning threw 23 picks that year. They had 31 giveaways and won the Super Bowl. Wow. Why? Because of that defense, right? Exactly. All right, two, uh, the 2007 New York Giants 
had 34 giveaways and won the world championship. Who's the defensive coordinator? Steve Spagnolo. So can you do it? Yeah, if you got a world champion quarterback like Mahomes and Spagnolo running your defense and a defense that's coming on for the Chiefs. All right, that was just a side stop. I hope we went to the restroom and had a little time. Now we're back on the road, kids. Uh, you kids settle down, or I'll pull this car over. Now let's go to the offensive side of the ball because can you see that him driving us <laughs> in the back is like <laughs> you guys. You kids settle down. All right. Uh, so Christmas vacation. The um, looking at the offense of the Broncos. This is where people kind of like scrunch their face when they see it. But why are they dangerous to me? Teddy Bridgewater is dangerous because he can manage a game. Keep in mind, he had the ball in his hands last year at GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium, down 33-31. A field goal would beat the Chiefs. He's quarterbacking the Carolina, the Panthers. Carolina Panthers and thrown over th- for 300 yards and had the Panthers in position. Teddy Bridgewater and what he's done, first of all, you have to admire it because his life was in jeopardy with that injury in Minnesota, and now he's back. But this Broncos offense in Bridgewater. Well, I, so I have a tattoo on my arm. You can't see it, but it says patience is a virtue. <laughs> and that ex- describes Teddy Bridgewater. He is so patient. He will take every little flat route, every little Y curl, Y stick. He will never force the ball into double coverage. He's not throwing 50-50 balls. He's so patient with the ball and loves how his offensive coordinator is now handing the ball off to that double-headed backfield, right? Mm-hmm. Gordon and Williams. Those guys are explosive and exciting. And he's like, why do I need to throw the ball t- more than 20 times? I can run a bootleg. I can run it. It's, it's either there or it isn't. And now I can run with the ball when I need to if you take away all the downfield stuff. Though, that, that is such a um, low-risk, high-reward type quarterback. And he's, done, he's doing it in a very effective manner right now. His thing throughout his career, just like Sean said, has been taking what the defense gives him, and he's been very good at it, and you can make quite a living doing that. He's at his best when he's taking advantage of that underneath passing game, and the timing is working, and it's quick passes, and he's seeing guys open, and they can make plays after that, and that's what he did He did with Carolina last year, and he's doing that for the most part when they're successful uh, with the Broncos. Now, if you look at how he can struggle, it's when that timing can be thrown off. And it's kind of an interesting study here. So he's done really well, actually, against the Blitz. He's been one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL. They have the best Blitzer passing rating in the league. Yeah. The Broncos do. He's been good at it. Now, interestingly enough, though, under pressure, he hasn't been very good. So you can kind of deduce, though, that it's when there's four-man fronts getting pressure. He's actually been pressured on 40% of his dropbacks this season. So among quarterbacks with 10 or more games played, that's the second most in the NFL behind only Justin Fields. Mm -hmm. So he's been pressured a bunch, good against the Blitz, but not so much when it's a four-man rush getting pressure on him, and that disrupts his timing. And we saw that uh, at times against the Chargers last week. There was one play, ended up being, uh, they reviewed it, and it was an incomplete forward pass. But Derwin James came off a blitz on Bridgewater's blindside and hit him, and the ball went flying. Thought it was a fumble at first, it wasn't. That's the kind of thing that can disrupt their timing. And he's been pressured a lot this season. Now, when they get their running game going, you mentioned their, their two runners with Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon. Both of those guys are averaging 4.8 yards per carry. They can get that going. The running game is working, and also the short passing game is working. But if you can get pressure, particularly with four, and try to stop that running game, luckily two things the Chiefs have done well lately, stopping the run and also getting pressure with four, you can disrupt what he wants to do. You were going to jump in. Making the Broncos throw the ball more than 20 times. If I see 25 to 30 attempts, yeah. that's going to be a win for the Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Allowing them to have 20 or more rushing attempts. Allowing that two-headed monster to both touch it 20, a combined 20 times out the backfield. Adding about five, four or five checkdowns, and we cannot let Javante Williams get that screen game going. Mm-hmm. He is 
a beast. He's explosive out that backfield. You get him in the flats, one-on-one coverage, it's going to be tough for anybody. We have some tough linebackers. We can go sideline to sideline. Willie Gay and Bolton, I'll put them up against anybody. But we don't want to make a living trying to tackle him uh, one-on-one in the flats. In the game you spied, he had five receptions, did Terry Bridgewater to the running backs and four to the tight ends. You mentioned why sticks and why curls. Right now, Teddy Bridgewater is targeting the tight end the fourth most of any quarterback in the league. And that's a pretty good group of tight ends. Noah Fant for you Iowa Hawkeye fans. Albert Okawebanam for you uh, Mizzou fans. Nice job. Okay, thank you. I'm working on it. Uh, <laughs> and then Sobert. Rarely do you talk about a Drake Bulldog in the NFL League, but Eric Sobert's in that group too. He had a touchdown last week in the game that you spied. The other thing that Chiefs fans may forget is the fact that Teddy Bridgewater beat the Chiefs as a Minnesota Viking quarterback in the ancient of days of 2015. Mm. And how did he win that game? 16-10. to 10. Okay, that's when they were playing at the University of Minnesota Stadium. Uh, and, uh, but Bridgewater, it was prior to his injury with the Vikings, but he was exactly like you guys and we've talked about here and described. That's how he played and beat the Chiefs in 2015. Yeah, always, always looking to take the, the safe throw. Never really wanting the risky throw. He picks his poise and he picks the times, the end of a half, the end of the game when I'm down by you know a touchdown, I need to do it, then I'll do it. But up until then, Everything that's adverse to turnovers, everything that's um, not risky, he's going to be the safest quarterback and probably the most effective quarterback we play because obviously the way our defense has been rolling, you got to do something to try to counter our pressure by up four guys. I've been listening to some of the, the Broncos broadcasts. The one guy that they are fearful of, Melvin Ingram. They cannot believe the Steelers let us get Melvin Ingram. They've been watching film, and they call him a game wrecker. They know that Frank Clark is who he is. Chris Jones is a phenom. But the way Melvin Ingram has been taking control and depositing the offensive linemen in the backfield, that's the player that they're going to come game planning and try to um, create an offensive game plan to try to take advantage of. I don't think we've talked about Melvin Ingram enough, and not just the fact of his impact on the football field. I think he's affected the whole – not only defensive line room, the whole defensive room. Uh, and just in chatting with him after the road victory against the Raiders, you're like going, oh, my gosh, where has this guy been? I, you know, I, I was kidding him. I said, for nine years, I prepared my spotting boards, and you're sitting right there just like <laughs> jumping off the page, and now you're on our team. Yes. It's just like yes. it's the kid you've competed against in high school year after year, and then he moves to your year for the senior year, and you're like, cool, he's on our side. Melvin Ingram is a stud. Yeah, the combination of getting healthy as a defense and adding a plug-and-play guy like Melvin Ingram has mm. paid dividends. I mean, it's been awesome to watch. First of all, if you're just watching, you can tell the energy and the passion, the tenacity they're all playing with. And it's also turned into numbers and stats. So between week 8 and 11, week 8 is that Giants victory that really seemed to turn things around. Uh, the Chiefs were second in points allowed per game at just 11.8 points allowed, second in rushing yards allowed per game, second in third down conversion rate, and sixth in net yards allowed per game. They have been absolutely awesome. And if you're looking at this winning streak, it's too, it's true complimentary football in so many ways. The offense has done enough to get the job done in most cases, had the huge game against Vegas, but for the most part, they made plays when they need to and have gotten out to big leads generally uh, at the beginning. And the defense has held on to those leads. And the defense repeatedly, whenever the opposition, think about Green Bay or New York, uh, wanted to get back into the game, the defense shut the door. And I'm sure you watching <laughs> probably got fired up watching how this defense has been playing, but it's really at all three levels. Yes. And it's exciting going into this time of year because this is when you want to be playing your best football, and the defense certainly is. Let's say all three levels of the defense. 
but it's always the parenthetical discussion of football, but it's all three levels of this team because special teams in this four-game winning streak has gone back to the Andy Reid, Dave Tobe form of 2013 to 2017. This is shop like Clark Griswold trying to put the lights together and do they come on and the neighborhood goes <laughs> boom and it doesn't turn on. And Nico, your son, goes downstairs and goes, hey, it's not plugged in down in the basement. And then he plugs it in. Guess who's plugging that in? Dave Tobe. Because what have we seen over the last month from special teams? We have seen a punter who has averaged in a single game 56 and a half net punting mm -hmm. and had four inside the 15. Oh, and a fake punt for 17 yards. All right. We've seen a place kicker who's on the cusp of setting an all-time record for the Chiefs um, kingdom of 50-plus yard field goals in a single year. We got that. We got Chris Lamont's turning into like Larry Izzo or uh, Slater from New England because this team right now, you guys, is number one in covering kicks yep. and they're number one in covering punts. Like we're seeing – a dominant special teams play. And by the way, the Broncos, fill in the blank, it's D, blank, 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 however you want to fill it in, are last in kickoff returns and kickoff coverage. Again. This is a game where you could obliterate special teams. At that phase we always call tip of the spear because it's the first thing that pierces your armor. Every, every game begins with a special teams kickoff, kickoff return. And we got one of the best return guys. Pringle is fearless. Yeah. No matter how deep in the end zone, I, get so, I know he's bringing it out. If he touches the ball, he's bringing it out, and the other team has to prepare that way. Our guys are blocking, expecting him to bring it out. Whether we get to the 20, 35, or, uh, it's the potential of bringing it out that makes, uh, makes me excited. And then in our return game, like you said, uh, when we have the opportunity to go and cover punts and cover kicks, we got guys that are willing. <laughs> not, that, they don't, that's not a punishment. They are willing participants to be one-third of a starter unit of this team. The special teams here are treated as starters on this team. That's, that's, that's the way you got to do it. And you talked about uh, 26, um, 31, um, um, backup running backs out there, um, participate on all four phases of special teams. And then our linebackers, we are the quarterbacks of that um, special teams, that coverage unit. We got guys that are willing, 44, 56. All these guys are willing to get down there and get their, their, their hands dirty, get their nose involved in making sure that people don't get big returns against us. And our pun is doing a great job of doing what? Hang time. You got to have hang time, whether it's kickoff, kickoff, return, punts, those things. Hang time matters, and it allows our gunners and, and, uh, to get down the field and make good plays. And you mentioned the potato chip, Pringle, or the door hinge, I call him, <laughs> a 104 last year against the Broncos. It's the only thing, Matt, we're lacking on special teams is the explosive punter kickoff return for the sweet nectar. That's the only thing that's missing. Everything else bing, 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 bing for the special teams. Yeah, well, and who did we get an explosive kickoff return against last year? It's the Denver Broncos mm -hmm. with Byron Pringle. Mm -hmm. I was going to say, I'm very lucky because most people, or some people, don't like their in-laws. I like my in-laws a lot. They're really cool. <laughs> They're really awesome people. And even though my wife's dad is a Broncos fan, loves football. So when I was out there over the bye, we just talked about football forever. Like, my wife would go to sleep for a while, and we'd just be talking about football for like two hours eating chips. It was great. <laughs> but truly, the difference between a good team and a great team is special teams generally yeah. because the NFL, everyone's good. Like even the worst team in the NFL, all those players were like the best player from their town. Like they're amazing players, right? Mm -hmm. So in the NFL, the margin for error is so razor thin. And special teams often is the difference. And in talking to my wife's dad, he watches the Broncos every week. Special teams consistently have been the issue for them. And they're just making mistakes on special teams, blunders on special teams, where the Chiefs, uh, on the other hand, are excelling. 
And they, we've been doing that for years. And the Broncos, ironically enough, were actually pretty good on special teams last week against the Chargers. But it showed when they play a perfect football game, when they're very efficient on offense, when they're playing suffocating defense and good special teams, they can be very dangerous. Yep. But typically, their special teams have not played that way. So hopefully, we get uh, a bit of what we've seen previously from their special teams here in this game where they're not playing very well. But uh, it just goes to show how important special teams is to the Chiefs because truly, when you're a good team with talent, if you don't have the special teams to match, it can mean the difference in losing two or three more games. And you talk about the dominance that special teams play. Imagine for 20 years, the Patriots. Who are the special team players that ever – Izzo, Slater – like, like their kicker and those gunners and their special teams were always a constant in every Pro Bowl. Vinatieri. Vinatieri. Year after year after year. That, like you said, that is the difference between being good and great. The degree of, of, of emphasis you put on your special teams. How consistently your special teams play week in and week out. That's the difference between a 14-3 and three record and a 10-7 and seven record. Yep. You said it best, Shop, and, and it's the culture that you have. Matt and I talk about this all the time. But the culture in your building is a special team, something you get relegated to, or is it a badge of honor? And it's a badge of honor with this Kansas City Chiefs team, and it has been ever since 2013 when Andy Reid and Dave Tobe rode, rolled into 10. All right, to close out this episode of Defending the Kingdom, which, again, it is capital D, fill in the blanks. You get to fill it in, lowercase uh, lowercase, 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 lowercase. Use your imagination. You can let any of the three, all three of us know what, how you filled in those blanks. Be nice, maybe. Okay, now we're going to close it this way. And a reminder that every Defending the Kingdom episode is brought to you by 360 Vodka, Kansas City's hometown vodka, the official vodka of the Chiefs' kingdom. We mentioned this in the Raiders show. It's not a rivalry unless you have a greatest moment uh, against the Broncos or against a rival in your worst moment. There has to be one of each. I've got one of each. So we're going to go around the room here and go through it. Now, you, you wrecked uh, – Matt went back and found some awesome moments of you against the Raiders. Did we find anything in against the Broncos? Yeah, I sent them to you. Did you have a chance to look at it? Yeah, I did. I did. Uh, you know, not too proud of the win-loss record. You know, I've, I actually played in three games against them, lost two, won one. Uh, but against the Broncos, you know what I remember? I remember Clinton Portis, and I remember – uh, Shannon Sharp. It's yeah. tough. That, 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 everything, I mean, I don't, the quarterback, I don't really know who the quarterback was, but it's those two, because it was so personal to me going against that running back. Clinton Portis was just so explosive. Uh, I mean, he kind of reminds me of the William kids they got now. Yeah. And obviously Shannon Sharp, right? One of the best tight ends that ever played the game. Uh, gold court, uh, gold court, coat, Hall of Fame type tight end. Yep. And that was a challenge for me. Uh, practicing every week against Tony Gonzalez as I prepared to go against some of the best tight ends in the league. And he was one that I considered the best. Yeah. I'd say my best and worst moments. So the best one against the Broncos, there's lots of them because Bronco week is fun and special. <laughs> and we've had so many fun ones. Like It got real special for you and you married Ellie. Yeah. Because well, now all of a sudden you married into the other side. Yeah. And I'll mention that since I met Ellie, the Chiefs have not lost to the Broncos. Yeah. So there's some good news there. We'll hopefully keep that going here. I could go all different kinds of directions. I could go the Don Terry Poe touchdown pass. That exactly. was awesome. Yep. But I think because I'm nostalgic and I can't help myself, I think my favorite one was Thanksgiving in 2006 because that was one of the first Chiefs-Broncos games I ever attended. Went with my dad on Thanksgiving. That was the first time there was a primetime Thanksgiving game. It was a new thing. Uh, And the stadium was rocking, and we got a huge win over the Broncos, and it was just so much fun. And I was still pretty young then, and just being indoctrinated into everything and realizing how special, uh, you know, this place could be was a lot of fun. So I think that was my favorite. 
The low point was 2015 on Thursday Night Football. I mean, I think I have to go with that one where uh, Jamal had the fumble at the end because the game was right there. Nine seconds to overtime. Yeah, it was right there. seconds to overtime. And we played so well, you know, but uh, I think that was the last time we lost to the Broncos, right? It was. Yeah, that was the last time. So a lot of good memories since then, but if I have to say a low point, it was probably that game. Eleven. So eleven in a row, right? Eleven yeah. in a row. If you keep track at home. <laughs> keep track. I, eleven listen, at home. I got a bear, but I'm keeping Donko. When, when, yeah. when we beat the donkeys, yeah. I put a little mark over there. Put, there you go. My wife we, doesn't like it because I ruined the sheetrock. I just like. Uh, yeah. But that, obviously, what um, Dante Hall. The return, oh, yeah, that, for that, sure, that, yeah. Oh, man. I, I, I don't recall that being a Broncos game. I just recall it when it I envisioned it. It was. Seeing a bunch of Broncos chase after him, so I guess it yeah, must have been It was a Broncos, Bronco so game. What, that has to be one of the highlights oh, of my yeah. career. For, for sure. And to speaking of that, I don't want to hijack what yours is, Mitch. I don't know what it is. But <laughs> also, Dante had that amazing reception in Denver where oh, he made two guys like yeah, run into yeah, each yeah. other. Joystick and down he, the side. It was the human joystick. That's the night I busted it out. Yeah, because yeah. if you talk to Dante – Everyone always wants to talk about the kick return yeah. or the punt yeah, yeah. return, but he always wants to talk about that play because that showed what he could do as a receiver, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, he's the only guy I saw that could run four directions at once. <laughs> at once. Now, I love the 2006 Thanksgiving night game because actually the NFL did that as a favor to Lamar Hunt because Lamar was pushing for that, a third game, because Denver always gets – I mean, sorry, Dallas gets the late the afternoon and Detroit gets the early game. What about the third game? And Lamar was always pushing it. He got to host it. And he was ill at the time and then passed away not long after that. But my favorite uh, Bronco game was the ushering in of the era that we now live in. And it was that second game of the 2015 season at Mile High. Because Peyton Manning was quarterbacking and the Chiefs nailed them. There were 11 possessions. Go back and check this out for you folks in the kingdom. I think there were six three and outs and five turnovers. Five turnovers. In 11 possessions, that was – and uh, the Chiefs basically just dominated Peyton Manning. Now, they go in to win the Super Bowl, give them credit, but they've not lost to that team since. Sure, Kendrick West had a big game on an angle route. It went for a touchdown, I can still see it. So that was a night where that game – it was one of those games that not only meant that game, but it started something else. Five and one-half years of winning over the Broncos and ruining sheetrock, putting all those hitches up there and the marks <laughs> – the worst moment was the 1997 playoff game. If there was replay now and there would have been reviews in New York, um, the Chiefs might have gone on that year because that team was a good team. Yes. But Gonzalez was ruled out of bounds. It was his rookie season, and it looks like he was inbounds. Yeah. And they just replayed that when they were doing uh, Gonzalez on the feature. Incomplete, a narrow victory by the Broncos. Even Mike Shanahan said at one point, he goes, that whole run to the world championship – it was the Chiefs game. Yeah. That was the biggest game. And uh, so, gosh, replay, <laughs> where were you? But that one hurt, uh, losing to Elway. But, uh, and then Heidel, I mentioned, was my rookie season, and they still have this game on a kiosk at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, was the Montana beating Elway Monday night game. Willie Davis at the right front pylon. Yeah. And that was my rookie season to do that game, Elway versus Montana. Elway breaks the heart again. Oh, no, the hero comes out and pulls the kingdom off the train tracks right before the train hits. So there's been so many awesome moments, but that was make this rivalry cool. Yeah, well, I'll add one more, too. One that I didn't experience personally, but that as a Chiefs fan, everyone knows about and that I've learned about over time was the game where Elway couldn't hear 
where yeah. the the refs were trying to penalize the crowd because it was so loud. And that's truly one of the games where Kansas City became Kansas City, the football town, you know, because everyone always looks back at that game. And I had a chance. So the ref that made the announcement that uh, <laughs> he was going to penalize the crowd, he's since passed away. But I had a chance to talk to another ref on that crew uh, about that day a few years ago. I always repost the article because it was so interesting. And they had never experienced a crowd like that. They had only used that rule or thought about using that rule at places like the Kingdome, like inside. And here we were outside, uh, and John Elway couldn't hear, and the crowd was going crazy, and the refs didn't know what to do. They ended up not assessing a penalty, but when I talked to these guys about it, they're just like, yeah, we never forgot that day. And it's just (laughs) so cool that, you know, that shows how the crowd can be a part of it. You're not just there to watch. You were there to help the Chiefs win, and uh, we're still seeing that here in 2021. You both met my dad. Your dad, Smoke. We lost him. But my dad, I'd always say, be careful with fire. That watching that game and having that referee go, hey, if y'all don't quiet down, (laughs) you're going to get a penalty. Like, why don't you just pour gas on the fire? That's like the dumbest thing he could have said. Like, dude, it ain't going to work. Like, we're going to be here all night. So just give us penalties because we ain't shutting up. Elway, remember, Elway looked back again at the ref, and the ref's like, just just go, come on. I love it. Yeah, it's fantastic. (laughs) So thanks for remembering that. But it's now up to you, all of you that are watching and listening or listening, uh, you fill in the blank. Send it to us. It's capital D, lowercase, 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 week. Ten, five, touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins in our 